Father, we thank you for your great love. Thank you that we see it in so many ways, but most of all, we see it in what you've done for us in the Lord Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to to get a, a fresh glimpse of that great love of yours and the joy that comes into our lives to know that we are loved by such a father in such a way. We thank you and we commit the rest of our time to you. Help us as we look at this passage to just hear and understand and just hear you speaking to us, Lord, so that our lives may be different for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good to be together again. It's good to be warm, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe too warm for some, but I don't know. Uh, I think you, we were away uh, gazing into the eyes of our grandson last... Um, had to get a mention in, I suppose, before the message started last Sunday. So I believe that the radiators were on then, but it's really good to, to be there. It's great to see Meg back as well. Hey, Meg, welcome back from, from where you've been. Anyway, it's excellent to be here together and to have the heating on and to... The maintenance guy's done a great job painting the back of the wall as well. It's all, it's all coming on. Anyway, let's have a look into the Bible, into Luke uh, chapter 15, and we'll find it on page, uh, if you've got a Bible nearby, there should be one if you haven't got one with you. Uh, it's page 1048 in those uh, versions of the Bible uh, nearby. And uh, we're back into uh, uh, looking uh, together and trying to learn from uh, Luke's gospel. We were, we've been doing Luke's gospel for a few years. We do a few chapters and then we, we go on to other things. Uh, and we're back, if you remember, last time we were there, and perhaps Dan said this uh, last week, but uh, we're on the road again with Jesus as he's heading towards uh, Jerusalem for the last time in his life. He's on his way to where he's going to die on the cross. And, uh, and the, the, the end of that journey is, is overshadowing everything that goes on through these chapters. And he's heading towards the cross. The disciples are with him on the road. They're learning from him. Uh, They're learning about what it means to be followers of Jesus. And we're kind of peering over their shoulders, hearing it, and we're learning about following Jesus too. Last time, we saw that it won't be necessarily easy to follow Jesus. He gives them this picture of someone carrying a cross. And people at the time who carried crosses were on their way to their execution. More than that, they, they, they knew if they were Jews that they were cursed by God. Because the Old Testament law said that whoever hangs on a cross or on a tree is cursed. So somebody carrying a cross was, was really not in a good place at all. Not just because they were on their way to die. It was the place of the outcast. Someone carrying a cross has no social standing. They've got no religious capital in the bank whatsoever. And then Jesus, did you notice at the end of verse 14, throws out a challenge and says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Those people who hear his words, he says, if you really want to listen, well, listen up. And who is it that listens? Look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners, in inverted commas, were all gathering round to hear him. Who's listening? Tax collectors and sinners. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Tax collectors, they were people who worked for the Romans. They were hated 
Because they got income for the Roman uh, occupying government by taxing the local people. And of course they took a cut for themselves, obviously, because that's what you do. Do then? They had, they had huge bonuses, shall we say. And they lived off other people. And they were, not, they were despised and hated by everyone. Sinners were people, uh, technically, who, who wouldn't kind of, if you were going to the temple, you know, uh, you had to be pure religiously. You had to have the right lifestyle. Uh, you shouldn't be in a, a kind of a wrong place with God. And, and if you were, if you were, you know, in that category, you couldn't get into the temple. You couldn't, you couldn't get in to worship God. And sinners were those kind of people who, who basically, because of their lifestyle and because of their lack of keeping up with the right rituals, they, they weren't going to make it into the temple anytime soon. But also listening were these people called Pharisees and teachers of the law. And they make this comment. It says they're muttering. Muttering. And what do they say? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see, they can't get why Jesus is hanging out with those kind of people. Those tax collectors. Those sinners. Now, these Pharisees and and, uh, teachers of the law were experts in the Bible. That's why they were called teachers of the law. That's the Bible, the Old Testament. They were experts in it, and they wanted the Pharisees desperately. One of their great characteristics, they wanted to live by the Bible. And they wanted everybody else to live by the Old Testament Bible as well. So to, to the tax collectors and, uh, sorry, to the Pharisees and teachers of the law, these tax collectors and sinners surrounding Jesus were the worst. They were the pits. And so they mutter. They just can't see how this great teacher, Jesus, this amazing rabbi, how come he welcomes these people and he eats with them? And to eat with them is a picture of not just kind of welcoming them, but really getting to know them and kind of welcoming him into his life. You know, in the East or in that time and still today, if you share a meal with somebody, you're, you're kind of together with them. And you can imagine that he, yeah, they, they could get the fact that he was going to preach at these, Pharise- at these uh, tax collectors and sinners. But, but why has he got to have meals with them? Why has he got to treat them like this? What, they just couldn't get it. Why does he do that? They ask. And so Jesus tells them a couple of stories to help them understand why. And let's read them. Verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Oh, what a great film that was. I love the animation. I've not seen that before. It's very good. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and comes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my sheep, my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, And search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So we got two stories, haven't we? 
about two items that get lost. A sheep and a coin. Both of them are one of many others. There were 99 other sheep and there were nine other coins. The coin, some people think, could have been part of a a piece of head jewelry that uh, women at the time would sometimes wear. Uh, And so to lose one part of it was a bit like, you know, if you've got a really valuable bracelet with, you know, bits, charms or whatever they are hanging off of it and one drops off, then it's incomplete. And and so there's a concern. But both involve a very big search. The shepherd goes out on the hills looking for the sheep everywhere. The woman sweeps the house in every place. She gets the lamp out. You know, she's going to get into every corner until she's found that coin. And in both cases, when they're found, there's great joy. There's joy. And everyone in the community joins in. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? So what's Jesus saying then? What's the point of this story? Well, surely he's saying it's worth finding what's lost. And when what's lost gets found, there's great joy, a great deal of joy about it. He even says that people who are lost and then found give great joy to God. He says there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repenting. Now, we'll see in the next stories, well, when heaven is mentioned, at the time, you know, Jews were, didn't use the name of God very readily. And so to say there's joy in heaven... Or when the boy says, I've sinned against heaven, as we'll see in a minute. It's a way of saying God, really. He said, God is, is full of joy when one sinner repents. Jesus is saying it really matters to God. And that's why he is with these people. God wants lost people to be found. He's passionate about it. And Jesus says, that's why I'm here. Jesus said that on several other occasions in, in Luke's gospel. We'll come upon them in the next few um, chapters. So Jesus is saying this. He's saying what matters most is not keeping the religious rules, but finding the lost and being found. There's joy in heaven, he says, when this happens. He says that there's joy in heaven. So why shouldn't I be celebrating and sharing meals with those who have been found? And that tells us something about God, doesn't it? It it tells us something about what God's like. It's that he looks for people. He wants them to be found. He wants us to be back home with him again. And the God Jesus reveals to us is that kind of God who's, who's looking for the lost, who wants us to come home. And if the God you believe in is not in line with that, then you're out of line with what Jesus says, aren't you? And I am too, if, that's, if I'm not in line with that. So there's joy in following Jesus, isn't there? There's the joy of being found, and there's the joy of finding others. Do we get that? Do we know that in our lives? Are we going to just know that joy? Are we gonna, who are we going to be like? Are we going to be like the Pharisees and the lawyers, the teachers of the law, rather, and stay away from lost people, judge people, protect ourselves from people who are lost? Or are we going to be like Jesus? Get into God's heart and God's plan, and God's passion to find the lost, knowing the joy of being part of how the lost get found. Are going to be like the Pharisees? Are we going to be like Jesus? You know, sometimes when we hear uh, in staff meetings, or someone tells us, or, uh, or when somebody, one of us, one of you may say, do you know, 
last Sunday or, you know, I went to an Alpha course or, you know, I, I, I asked Jesus into my life. I, I've been found. What's our reaction? What's your reaction? Oh, sorry. Joy. Fantastic. The best thing. It'd be great to have a lot more of that kind of joy around. So if you've come to know Jesus and you've not told us, tell us. We'd love to share your joy. Now, some of those listening to Jesus, as he tells us, may be thinking, yeah, okay, Jesus, yeah, we get it, but, but why are they lost? And how are they found? What does Jesus mean? What do you mean, Jesus, when you talk about one sinner who repents? So he tells them another story, perhaps the best-known story of Jesus. It's uh, one of, you might say, the greatest stories ever told. Let's read it. Jesus continued, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him. And was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Actually, it's a bit stronger than that. He smothered him with kisses. He couldn't stop kissing him. Actually, the old version says he fell on his neck and kissed him. And, you know, sometimes you see that in people kind of hold the back of the neck because they're so, they don't want to lose him again. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you And never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the cat-fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. 
But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Huge amount in this uh, little story. And if you've not read it, can I recommend that uh, Tim Keller wrote a great book called The Prodigal God, which is a, a kind of analysis of the, the prodigal son. It was, a, it was about seven chapters in it. So there's a lot of good stuff there. So what, here's the first thing then, what does it mean to be lost? See, now we're talking about a person, aren't we? Not a sheep or a coin, but a person. And, it, and it's all about the lostness of a broken relationship between a father and his son. The son just wants his father, sorry, the, the son just wants what his father can give him. You know, it's instructive, isn't it? In the very first thing we hear this boy say in the story is, Father, give me. Give it me now. I want it all. I want it now. Give it to me, Father. I want it. They're his first words. And that sums it up pretty well, really. He wants his father dead. And in the culture, it's an outrageous insult at the time, for a son to say that to his father and demand the inheritance was, a, was an insult. It was unwise for him to give him the money because you don't want to divide up your land and, and lots of things. I mustn't go off piece because I'm... So, but anyway, it, it just take it. It was an insult. He's, he's kind of turning his back on his father. The relationship, the boy says, is over. And, and just to prove it, <laughs> there's a distance between them. The son goes off to a country far away, takes the money, squanders it on all kinds of wild stuff and ends up with nothing. Now, that's Jesus describing what makes us lost. We've turned away from God, that we're out of relationship with him, that left to ourselves, we we just want his stuff (laughs) and we don't want him. We're happy for the stuff that goes with being created uh, in his image. You know, we'd like a good life, please. We'd, we'd like health. We'd like family. We'd like our needs met. We'd like everything God can give us, a great world to live in, all that kind of stuff. We want his stuff, but we don't want him. In fact, we want to get to as far away from him as possible because, you know, lots of people think that if we stay with God or if we kind of let him in, then he's going to ruin everything for us. That's a lie. But that's what people believe. And you know, like the father in the story, he lets us go. Because you can't make someone love you and stay with you if they don't want to, can you? That's how we get lost, says Jesus, just like the boy in the story. And it doesn't go well for that boy in the story, does it? He ends up with nothing left, working with pigs which wasn't very good for a rich Jewish boy. You know, pigs were the worst place. You know, Jews weren't meant to have anything to do with pigs. And to be in a pigsty was a bad thing. But it doesn't end there. Jesus says sinners can repent. So let's see. We've seen what it means to be lost. Let's see, secondly, how does it change then? Because it's here in the story. The first thing, interestingly enough, is that the boy gets to the place to change as he decides. He makes one decision, even before he decides to go back to his father. He makes a decision not 
to eat the pig's food. Do you notice that? It says he, he would have loved to have he, he was hungry. He could have eaten, I think they're called carob pods that the, the pigs were eating. He said, but he didn't. That was a decision he made. He could have filled his stomach. He could have made the best of it. He could have stayed in the pigsty and gradually forgotten all about his home. And you know, we can end up in our lostness, missing the father's food or suppressing the hunger for spiritual life by filling the emptiness with other stuff. Our need is for home with God. Our need is for the food in the father's house. We're human beings made in God's image. And and wherever you are, don't settle for less just because it takes the hunger away for a short time or seems to. You know what I'm saying? The tragedy is that so many of us miss the way home because we get so used to the husks that we're not aware that there's anything better to eat available. We forget that we're creatures made in God's image. So don't ignore the spiritual hunger. And if you are hungry, don't stop looking. And as we, as believers, live with people who are lost, as we do on our front lines, in our families, wherever we are, at work, at university, at school or college, we're living lives. Let's live lives that point others to the truth that there is real food to be had out there from our Father. The way we live, embrace the goodness of being human with others. Embrace the, the things that point to to God's goodness, point people towards home in the way that we live. That's a great privilege, isn't it? But this boy then faces up to his real position. He, it says he comes to his senses. He takes a, a really honest look at himself and he looks at the place he's in. Now, that's not easy, is it? Because there's so much in our lives that kind of stop us from, from getting to that point. Because you, you need kind of real quiet, don't you, to, to be able to do that. To really face up to where we're at. And all the stuff cr- the, the, around us, the noise around us, the, just life can, can crowd it out. The masks we wear. The people we try to be, you know, you, you, you know so many, for so many people, all of us, I guess, there's like the social media me, or there's the student me, or there, there's the family me, or there's the good friend me, or there's the cynical me, or the self-sufficient me, the armor-plated me, what is it, the successful me, the whatever it is, those kind of stuff, images that we have of ourselves that, that kind of fill up everything. And they all get blurred and the masks we wear end up sticking to our faces. But when we take an honest look, as this boy does, we face two things. Here's the first thing he faced. The first thing he faced was that he was lost. And we need to face that fact. We are lost. He realized that he didn't lack something called food. Most of all, he lacked someone called Father. That was the problem. And he comes to that point where he sees that for himself. Lots of people 
in our culture talk about being lost in different ways. We were thinking at Alpha about Freddie Mercury, you know, lead singer of Queen, one of the greatest rock bands ever, to some people's opinion. I think I would agree with that opinion. Um, Freddie, uh, later in his career, sang an amazing duet with Montserrat Kabaya, in which he says this, Who will find me? Take care and side with me. Guide me safely home to my home where I belong once more. He, he, he sings a song about being lost. It's, it's desperately sad, wonderfully lyrical song. He actually said in, in, in an interview not long before he died, he said, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that's the most bitter type of loneliness. Success had brought me world idolization and millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. Now, hundreds of years before, someone else who wasn't a rock star, but in his own way, lived the rock lifestyle of his day. He later became St. Augustine. He, he did have a wild time, and he, he came to God out of his wild time. And he writes about it. And in a prayer, he sums up his experience. He prays, you have made us for yourself, he says. And our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. That was his experience. Jean-Paul Sartre, atheist philosopher, existentialist. I think he pretty much started existentialism, didn't he? He spoke for many of us when he said this, and this is an amazing quote, actually. He says, that God does not exist, I cannot doubt. He said, I cannot doubt that God doesn't exist because he's an atheist. Fair enough, he's an atheist, that's his decision. But what's astonishing is what he goes on to say. He says, but that my whole being cries out for God, I cannot deny. He said, I I admit, my whole being longs for God, although I... I can't believe in him. Why is that? And with the pigs, the boy faces up to his true identity. He's a son of his father. He'd run from that. He denied it. He'd hated it. But he realizes that is who he is and who he's meant to be. And we need to see that. We need to see that we need to be in that relationship with our father. The boy sees that it's crazy. He's got a father who's starved, eat good food. And here he is starving. We need to face up to it. We're lost. We need God. And it's possible to make a move. The boy faced up to the fact that he's lost and we need to do that. But there was something else he faced up to. And this is the second thing. Not just that he was lost, but he was guilty. That's the second thing. We're guilty. Look what he says in verse 18. I'm going to say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven That's, as I said, against God and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Take me as a hired servant. He says, I'm no longer worthy. I've got no rights. I don't deserve to be taken back. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against my father. I'm guilty. The hurt I've caused you, I've also caused to God, he says. Now, this is an interesting angle because... Jesus kind of breaks the convention. And, and in the story, he has the boy talking to his father, saying, I've disobeyed my father, I've, or rather, I've dishonored you, father, and I've sinned against you. But he said, I've also sinned against God. So it kind of, this extra dimension comes in. And what he's saying is that sin, going against God, hurts him. 
When we go against God, we hurt him. Do we realize that? See, some people see God um, maybe like, I hope there's no one, there should ever, never be anyone in Waitrose car park, I'll just check, on a Sunday like this, but there is in the week, like a traffic warden. Dishing out tickets. We see God like some heavenly traffic warden dishing out tickets for people who break parking laws or, you know, his equivalent. But no, when we go against what God wants us to be, when we lie, as he tells us we shouldn't, when we worship the wrong things, when we give our lives to things that he says don't give your life to, when we betray others that we love in the way he says don't betray people that you love, when we don't love others as he wants us to, when we don't love him as he wants us to, it hurts him. It's actually like parking on the traffic warden's foot. How much does it hurt God? Think about that song we just sang. Think about the cross. When we see what Jesus goes through on the cross, because there God takes it all for us. He's almost destroyed and overwhelmed by going through it. That's how much it matters. That's how much it hurts him. And we need to grasp that, that we've hurt God. And we need to realize that because that's how the relationship begins to be restored as we get that into our hearts and set off back towards home. That is Jesus' description of repentance. Jesus said there's joy in heaven over one sinner repents. What's involved in a sinner repenting? Just that. Not ignoring the spiritual hunger. Taking an honest look at our spiritual state. Facing up to it that we're lost, that we're guilty and we want to turn back to God. And that's what happens because we see there's this great joy in coming home. I saw a film in Arabic. Um, It has subtitles so I knew what was going on. Um, made by Middle Eastern Christians of the prodigal son. It's a really brilliant film, actually. I mean, it's not Oscar material, but it's, it's moving. And in the film, when the son comes back into the area, you see word goes around, because word always goes around in villages, doesn't it? You know, and it did in those days. Word goes around amongst all the blokes in the village that the, the bad guy, son's coming home, and they form a mob and get ready to beat him up before he gets back. And in the film, in their kind of uh, portrayal of the story, the father kind of runs and intervenes to stop his son being beaten up by the mob. But it it makes the point. The welcome the son gets, you know, in this culture is an absolute bombshell. The son deserved to be beaten up. He brought dishonor on the father, on the family, on the community. And what happens? This father, he sees him from a distance. He spots that it's his son and he runs again. Nobody in that culture or no serious minded uh, man of any status, father, uh, uh, particularly a father to his son or, or any, especially a significant character in the community like this man was, would ever be seen running in this way. It was so undignified. You know, picking up your, your, your long robes, kind of running. No, that's just not it at all. But this is what this man does because of his love. The boy asks for forgiveness, but the father won't let him finish. He embraces him. He reinstates him as his son. No conditions, no probation. 
just a feast to celebrate. He gives him the ring that says that he's back as the, uh, the son again. He gives him the, the robe that says, you're welcome back in my family. And he gives him the party and they all celebrate. What an amazing description of God's love. Do you, do you know any other religion which portrays the almighty God running towards someone to welcome them back? You don't get that anywhere else, I don't think. Someone will come up and say, well, do you know about something? But I think it's pretty unique to Jesus' revealing of what God is like. His love, his mercy, he runs to meet us and welcome us home. But listen, not everyone joins the party, do they? There's this older brother. And in the, the little bit at the end, we discover that this other brother is also away from his father. He may be there physically. He may have been on the farm. He hadn't left for a far off country. But in his heart, he's miles away, doesn't he? And he shows that because he also insults his father. Because again, culturally, for the father to throw a feast and want his son to go to it, and for him to say, no, I'm not coming in front of the whole community is a massive insult. It's a slap in the face. It's saying, I don't respect this father of mine. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to go to this feast. He too is in the same place. And what does the father do? He comes out, it says in in, in verse 29, it says he pleads with him. Sorry, verse... uh, Yeah, verse 20, sorry, verse 28. His father went out and pleaded with him. And then it all comes tumbling out. You see, we see that this boy is lost. I slaved for you, he said. I obeyed your orders. He sees God as a slave master. He sees his father as someone who's giving him orders. He resents. He says, you didn't give me anything. And the father responds by reaching out to his other son and saying, my son, my son. He says, you can be my son. He invites him too into that relationship to share with him, not to slave for him. He says, you can be found too, like your brother. Join in the celebration with me. Come into a new kind of relationship with me. Stop treating me like a slave driver and something you just want stuff out of, but you don't ask for. But come and be my son. And does that boy go into the party? We don't know. Jesus leaves it hanging there. Was the second lost son ever found? We don't know. It's a story anyway. (laughs) Now, Jesus is talking to those Pharisees, remember them? And the, the lawyer, the teachers of the law who resented the welcome he gave the tax collectors and sinners. And he tells them, like he tells us, that we, they can leave their slaving to try and please God. They can, they can know God in a new way. As the Father who wants them to know his mercy, them to know his forgiveness, they can join in the joy of the lost being found. See, I don't believe Jesus is having a go at them in this story. He's inviting them to be found too. So there's joy in following Jesus. There's joy in being found And being part of the way he finds others. There's joy in the welcome home. 
There's a father who comes to find the lost, who runs to meet those who repent and come back. There's a father who comes out to meet and plead with those who treat him as a slave master, just trying to appease him or trying to get what they want out of him because that's the only way they think they'll get what they want by trying to do his stuff. He comes out after those people and he invites them like the older son into a relationship that is different to be real sons again, not slaves. He invites us too into a relationship of joy. If we're like that older son of joy and of shared life, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours, he says, where we can know that in our experience. So here's the thing. Have you ever come home to the father? Ever been in that place? Well, you can, you know. All you have to do is tell him. If you don't know what to say, talk to somebody in the prayer team and ask them to help you put it into words. I think you probably will know what to say. Just talk to him. Tell him. Do you need, do I need a renewal of that joy that comes from the Father's welcome and closeness? You see, we can so often just slip into this kind of slavery, this kind of resentment, this way of seeing God, this kind of, you never gave me, you know, you never gave me that perfect job I wanted. That, you know, fantastic life, that answered prayer, that healthy life, those wonderful kids, that amazing partner. You never gave me those things. I've been slaving for you. You never gave them to me. We slip into that kind of thing. And if we have, we need to hear God say, come back. You're my son, my daughter. I want to be with you. I want you to know me as your father again and join your father and your brothers and sisters at the party in the joy of being a son or a daughter of God. He comes out and pleads with you if you're in that place. Come into grace. Come into what God's got for you. And let's all of us realize finally that our God goes after the lost. And let's go with him in that. And let's find the joy of being found And being part of the way he finds other people. Let's continue in prayer. Songs. We got some response songs. Yeah. So we hand over to the band now. And as, as we sing, as I say, it may be a chance for you just to quietly put something into words yourself to the Lord. He waits for us. Doesn't force himself on us. He invites us. But believe me, it's the moment we turn, he runs to meet us and welcome us into his family.